This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth as we continue our Tuesday morning Bible studies that uh, we've been making recordings of the short books in our discussions of the New Testament. Um, so today we're going to start with Titus. Um, and I've never taught it. It's, the pages are clean. Oh my goodness. Well, it's it's a it's an interesting book. Philemon we've done, however. It's writing in there. Nice. Uh, we quote um, so we we tend to believe that this is written by Paul. Uh, well, not necessarily physically by Paul, but it's a letter to Titus. Um, it's uh, interestingly enough, it it insists on um, sound doctrine as usual. It's against false teaching. Um, my favorite part is, is it revels in my commentary. It will always talk about how it re revels in traditional hymns. Um, I, I mean, I, I quoted it in my uh, second master's thesis a lot, um, specifically about hymns. But um, it's uh, it's also one of it, it is the shortest of these pastoral letters that Paul writes. Um, Interestingly enough, it doesn't discuss deacons. Uh, it doesn't understand um, elders and bishops as two distinct groups. Um, and kind of insists that the Christian community um, is pretty young to whoever he's writing to. We tend to believe that this is um, probably written closer to a... Um, nearby Crete, C-R-E-T-E, -E, like the, the, the geographical place. So this, this would be interesting because they would have had relationships with um, Corinth. They would have had relationships uh, with Rome, obviously. And, um, but it, it's like he, he walks through this place and he sees uh, the Cretan church um, established it but in, in any of his other letters he never mentions Crete except for in this one um trying to think of what else to say if Paul did write the letter uh then it should be dated in the 60s uh after his uh Rosen and, uh, Roman imprisonment like that we read in Acts 27 if he did not write it um that it um from acts like like we would think of that he would say from acts 20 uh he doesn't expect to come back from his roman imprisonment so this the late the date of when this was written is really uncertain so we don't we don't really know when and how this where where this took place so so the interesting thing about titus which is probably why we don't teach it very often is, is that it's a, there's a lot of unknown factors. We so it's it's going to be more about theology and it's going to be about warning of false teachings. It's it's in the it's in the canon because it's a pastoral letter and it's the shortest one. First um, and Second Timothy we put in that category, and so I think that's why they put them all in the same area. So um, trying to think of anything else. 
He's writing it to Titus. And interestingly enough, you start to see, let's say, let's say he wrote it after he's in prison. He would have already had a practice of how he writes his letters, so it's very formalized how, how he wrote it. Um, so the beginning and the ending sound a lot like his other letters, which no one really cares about that except for nerdy people like myself. Because that that tells you structure, right? Like if you're looking at a, a at a piece of literature and you're trying to create a connecting point for other books, um, I'm going to rabbit trail for just a second. So, for example, when you look at the Gospels, there's a there's a pattern that we look at for linguistic writing. Um, and so if you're looking at it from a, uh, an, an anthropological lens, there's specific things that you look for to date it. So like, well, Mark obviously was first, and these are the reasons why. And then you can see where Matthew and Luke copy off of Mark, and these are the reasons why. This is why John doesn't does not connect to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because John has all of these things. Well, Paul's letters do the same thing. Um, and, and they're, and they're um, not as finite, but they are as finite as the way that you would look at historic Jesus in the, in the Gospels. Paul's letters um, are the only letters, the only things in the New Testament you can see where he grows in his faith. Like, this is the argument everybody makes with me when it comes to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, maybe Luke just, you know, as time grew on, he just changed his mind. Or maybe John just <laughs> changed his handwriting and thinks that, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I recognize that, that the logic is there. Psychology is there. But th that's not their purpose. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, John were not, their function was not that purpose. Now, Paul's letters, on the other hand, are their focus changes because he's writing a specific letter to a specific person in a specific place at a specific time and he will have changed his theology in between those letters that's why i'm making a big distinction of that totally different style of writing so when you look at it you can go oh wow but the problem with this is is that we have the second voice like the second Corinthians or you have second Timothy or things that nature, what you find is this also what took place in that culture in the first century is his students would continue to write letters on behalf of him and sometimes in his name or to that specific person to continue the ministry. It wasn't unheard of. It wasn't a bad thing. So second Corinthians specifically we, we struggle with finding authorship uh, things saying that he wrote that. Second Timothy, we don't struggle with. Does this make sense? It's a it's a dangerous slope that you get yourself into when, you, when we humanize, that's what I'm looking for, when you humanize a letter written to somebody in the first century. Um, but that's what we've taught for 600 years and as people have learned how to read uh we've continued to teach it and then didn't challenge it until the last 70 years and it freaks people out and that's why i'm i might be sounding more antagonistic about titus than i probably need to but when we're in a world today of copyright infringement 
Yeah, we live in a world of copyright infringement. And I think you had mentioned previous that it was uh, almost uh, an honor. Yeah, an honor to be, that somebody would try to write. Yeah, that you're sharing their word. Or, yes. You know, and, and when you say Paul, a servant of God, is the start of your letter, you're, uh, you're giving that to that person, mm -hmm. even if it's not Paul writing it. I mean, yeah. part of it is, hey, look, read mine because uh, here it is. But most of it is, you know, a servant of Paul, who is a servant of God. I'm going to hop on your bunny trail and take off a different direction. You said traditional hymns. Yeah. Do they have written down any of the traditional hymns? No, because I mean, this this is another problem that we have. Okay, I just no. It's a great question, and and not not running off a a total rabbit trail. You all have been brought up, and myself included, with Western music. So there's there's uh, rhyme, there's lyric, there's metric, there's rhythm. Um, none of that existed in the first century. Um, there was there was an idea of how it would sound, but we have no clue how that works. There's a style of writing that we can say this is hymn-like. This is that linguistic piece that I was talking about. So when you when you look at it, you go, "This is a hymn." But you and I would look at it and like, "This is this is just a bunch of words put together on a on a page. This this doesn't rhyme. It's not in rhythm." There's no metric notation to it whatsoever. Uh, they don't even, we didn't even start writing down notes until uh, the earliest written musical notation we have is in like the 12th or 13th century. We have nooms, which were like these weird, funky looking scribble things that the, we would follow. But it was, until we started actually seeing physical notes, it was 12th, 13th century. So. China, actually, this is the part that's fascinating, has uh, a, a rhythm and metrical and um, a pattern and a musical notation that goes back um, almost to 3000 BCE. Um, and, and we've just now started acknowledging that about, uh, about 100 years ago in music. When you read these, can you pick up sort of like a chant? I mean, if the you, idea is, yes. If you're my mind wouldn't read it that way. One, one last question, just following all of that. <clears throat> when you was talking about our music of today, mm -hmm. the one thing that hit me is, okay, and we have to repeat whatever we said over and over and over. Right. Well, when, whenever I see that in the Bible, you know, I'm thinking, okay, it's just like a good letter. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm writing. And when you finish, this is why I've written. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you tell the same thing again. And that happens a lot. Oh yeah, in, in the Bible. I mean, you know, they repeat and repeat and repeat because I'm slow. And they're trying to help me out. I mean, I, I understand, but and I don't know. read it myself, so I have to hear it. Like with a lot of writing. But yeah. going back to music of today, that's what we do. Is we, you know, the I find it humorous that you know the complaint on any given music is well, they sing the same thing over and over and over again. It's like, well, what music do you like? Ta-da! <laughs> yeah. You know, we sing it, which helps you remember. That's I mean, the idea. You know, you, you remember the chorus. Why? 
actually sing it. My, I mean, just to piggyback off of that, one of the things that he talks about in this letter, you know, is going back to the traditional hymns. This is this is the argument that churches have had since the first century. We want to sing the the good old hymns. This is this is the same argument that churches have made from the first century, and the the audience would have been like, yeah, the good old hymns, and the top forty for them would have been different than the church in Crete, and the, the top forty for the church in Crete would have been different than the church in Corinth. And so, what is Paul encouraging them to do? Well, sing the traditional ones, and then the argument always is. Well, what does that mean? I, my best friend's sister sang opera for a while. Mm -hmm. She did a recital or at some place in the city. It was a traditional French Christmas music. Oh yeah. And we sit. I sat there, and I don't know that I understood anything she said. I know I didn't understand anything she said. Right. And I did not recognize any of the music. Right. But occasionally there was something. I'm going. Well, this was probably a very traditional. I mean, but I'm not a traditional French guy from, you know. Yeah. It was all, it was beautiful. But as far as knowing anything, to, I mean, you know, they title it. It's like, <laughs> well, what is that? Yeah. yeah it's not Frere Jaca. That's the only one we know, right? That's right. Well, I, I point this out because I think this is a good, good example of a lot of those things. Um, and it, it's a it's a great dialogue that, that he's writing this letter to Titus. And again, we don't really study it very often. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just he's not flashy. I think it's part of the problem. You'll hear Titus quoted in things, but he's not flashy. Philemon uh, is a hundred percent flashy. You know, <laughs> there's there's little bits and pieces of him that we can quote, but Titus, he's just. And I hate to be that guy, but I think that's my personal biases is that it's just a letter to Titus and he mentions Creed, which is kind of historically significant. So with that being said. So as, uh, back to the songs in the pews, uh, we had someone complain when we were doing different music mm -hmm. to repeat himself too often. This is uh, yeah, Psalms 136. Uh, Lord, uh, he thanks the Lord for his good where it says that's your love endures forever, and it says his love endures forever at the end of every verse for like 20 verses. <laughs> and it says that he said his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. So it's not a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's not a new thing. Um, so here we go. Paul, a servant, and I don't think slave. slave. Loves. Yeah, I was going to say it's too low. And I figured I, I went and did some research why they did that uh, because of the word slave. That there was supposed to be a, an opportunity that the NRSV committee put together this idea that it uh, that it doesn't make it as inclusive. When you say that, it it, it has a triggering moment to it. So, um, and so there it is. Uh, in the first century, that would have been the case, so we'll use it. And an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is how you know he had some influence in it. That's his, that's his statement. 
Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that is in accordance with godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, in due time he revealed his word to the proclamation with which I have entrusted by the command of our God and our, oh, sorry, by the command of God our Savior. Happening, you send it where that line is right in the middle of a word. So, to Titus, my loyal child, in the faith we shared, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Boom, that's his hello, how are you doing? To whom it may concern. I left you behind in Crete for this reason, so that you should put in order uh, what remained to be done. And should appoint elders in a tent in every town. Is that presbyteros? Um, yes. Okay, good. Uh, as I directed you, someone who is blameless, married only once. Oh, yes, we do quote Titus. Yes, we do. Okay. Whose children are believers, not accused of debauchery, and not rebellious. For a bishop, um, this, this should be the same yeah, one. Overseer. Overseer, yeah. Episcopal. Episcopal. Yeah, where we get Episcopal. the... Episcopal. 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 Yeah, that's where we get that word from. As God's steward must be blameless, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or addicted to wine or violent or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable. Notice, he must yes, always. be... He must be hospitable. A lover of goodness, prudent, Upright, devout, and self-controlled, he must have a firm grasp of the word that is trustworthy in accordance with the teaching, so that he may be able to both to preach with sound doctrine and to refute those who can contradict it. There are also many rebellious people, idle talk, and believers, and deceivers, especially those of the <laughs> those of the circumcision. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching this sordid gain what is not right to teach. It was one of them, their very own prophet, who said, Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy uh, gluttons. So just that you all know, Cretan is still used as a negative term. <laughs> like that's literally where it comes from. That testimony is true. Well, fantastic. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may become sound in the faith. Not paying attention to Jewish myths or to commandments of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their minds and consciousness, consciences are corrupted. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their actions. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Pause right there. Got about the definitions of elders. So there's a, I want to talk a little bit about social structure. Um, this is one of the, one of the very own more one places that you see this phrase the married only once translation. It's that's not what it says in Greek. It says, it says married to one wife of one wife a husband. 
of one wife. It's not married only once. Married to one person. But that one at a time. One at a time. See, yeah. I told you, dear. Yeah. Have one <laughs> this is a this is a massive translational problem. Um Dad is texting me. So the translational problem that you run into has has caused more ecclesiastical brain damage <laughs> for people in leadership in churches than anything else. Just this one little statement. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part, this is this is the the part about not accused of debauchery, not rebellious whose children are believers. I've seen um, ministers lose their job uh, over this passage passage of Scripture. Um, I've seen ministers uh, get in trouble because their kids were rebellious, that um, they, they would they would be in the mm -hmm. sanctuary and they'd be acting like kids, and the minister lost their job uh, for that. I'm totally not joking. When I got in trouble in high school, my mom and dad, uh, were obviously concerned that I had made really bad choices, but uh, my dad did get called by the elders of the church and had a talking to about uh, my behavior. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, I can't even it. imagine what happened when my aunt and my dad acted the way they did in the 60s because my dad totally went off the rails, and then my aunt did too. Like, and my grandpa was so high up in the church. I don't even know how the church acted. Like, I wish I could ask him, but I can't. Right. <laughs> but my dad got kicked off the swim team because he had long, long hair. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what the church did, but oh my goodness. Well, it's, and that whole thing is based off of this one little passage of scripture. Mm -hmm. This is, this is why. Truth texting is super bad. So, uh, he mentioned Jewish myths. Yes, good. Oh, we can finish that. So, there's a uh, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to figure out how I want to attack that. I mean. There's things that I read in the Bible that I, I sit there and go, okay, this has got to be a story. I don't think mm -hmm. this is true. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm right. I mean, my brain just can't handle that being the way it is. But <clears throat> only, I mean, you know, he's ta talking about Jewish myths and, you know, speaking the truth. The Cretans are all liars, on and on and on. But now he's determining, or somebody is determining what is to be used from the Greek or from the Jewish past. Mm -hmm. And I guess to me it's interpretation. I know the Christianity is not the same as you know being or the being a Jew, but that's where that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. He would have been right in the middle of it. Jesus was, I mean, both of them were Jews is what I'm trying to say. Maybe this makes it easier for him to determine what the Jewish myths are. 
So it's it's a yes, and obviously somebody has come to this church and said to them, Jesus is Jewish and so is Paul, and they grew up with Torah. And one of Paul's arguments all the time is, Torah is important. However, you don't need to be focusing in on the dietary laws. You don't need to be focusing in on these things. Even Jesus broke Sabbath. Circumcised group. That's, that's, and that's exactly it. So here's that's a Jewish, in, in, in a lot of senses, there's this, this mythos that comes along with being Jewish that says, well, you have to eat a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to do this thing. And that's purely coming from Torah. And he's like, but you're not Jewish. Why would you want to do that? That that those mythos, that's for them. That's not for you. So it goes it goes both ways on that. Um but it's it's very Jewish. And I don't know that it would be called marriage. But you know, the whole thing about you know, you have ten brothers and all their wives die. And now all of a sudden instead of one wife, you have ten wives. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, I no. Mean, well, they're not, but they're not your wife. You're just responsible for them. That's right. You're responsible for procreating with them. That's right. And and the kids that you have are actually your brothers. Yeah. This is that deuteronomistic marriage thing. So, so Paul would have said, yeah, you you personally can only be married to one person. You might be married to that other person because they were married, they were your brother's wife, but that's your brother's wife. Your job is to continue to procreate on your brother's behalf. It's a it's a weird and we 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 have kind of proof that it happened. Like it's just it's just a thing, you know. That's that's the whole story of Ruth, the, the book of Ruth. You know, that she falls into this deuteronomistic uh, marriage thing. Uh, it's totally legit in that book. But as you very aptly pointed out, it was it was not unheard of for a Jewish man to have multiple wives because so did Abraham. So did Jacob, you know, and it just goes on down the line. At this point, they're like, that's not really acceptable. Yeah, that, that's all I mean, that yeah. that would be potentially a Jewish man that, that he's talking about here. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is somewhere there's somewhere there's a new, a, an evolution here. Of, you know, we're different. Christianity is different than the Jewish faith. Based on it, but there is a difference. I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's very... It's really cool, Robert, you bringing this up because yes maybe Titus does affect us more than I'm giving it credit for because this passage specifically has shaped that we just got done reading has shaped the leadership structure of Christianity for two, two millennia in the I'm going to go with 17th no no 18th 19th centuries uh, you, you're starting to get groups of people to read this is when you start to see the Protestant movement move even further 
Yeah, I'm totally going with you on this. This passage of scripture is what they used to pick their clergy. This is how they picked their leadership in the church. However, it's not the Jewish practice. We have modified it and completely formulated it into something different. And and he and Paul is speaking to them as a Jew to a group of people that were not Jewish. So yeah, yeah, it totally works that way because now you've got a very clear distinction in Titus here that this is them and the, and the, and you are different than that. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, I have, but I haven't thought of it like that Titus would take us there. Um, I, I I love the Cretans are always liars. That's a uh, I'm trying to remember where that is. I, I think it says in my commentary. Uh, because it's a, oh, it's in the Hebrew Bible. I can't remember where, where verse 11, verse 12. Well, okay. I forgot about this. So, in the, the my commentary points this out. The ethnic slur was attributed by Clement of Alexandria and other Christians to a Cretan holy man named Epimenides Epimenides of Gnosis in the 6th century uh, before Christ. So there's no Christians before Christ, right? So B.C. So there's this Clement of Alexandria uh, was the slur. He was from, evidently from Crete. Then, uh, is supposed to be the author's way of portraying the rebellious teachers in the worst possible light. Despite the use of such language as a letter attributed to Paul, surely the use of an ethnic slur within the Christian community is unacceptable in the light of Jesus's acceptance of the Samaritans. Duh. And Paul's own statement in Galatians. Um, so I just had to point that out that my commentary said that that was neat. Um, we don't like it. First time I ever heard the word used, Charles Winchester used it in MASH. Oh, and he sent me to the dictionary to find out what a Cretan was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this kind of goes to Rick saw that um, video announcer Donnie, Danny Kaye, who's been for an icon in the States since I was in high school, yeah. was released from his job for, for an Netflix slur. slur. He was fired this week. You may hear that. Mm-hmm. And this his ethnic slur, slur really wasn't one. He said, uh, today's Columbus Day and Indigenous People's Day. I don't know what Indigenous means, and I don't care. And he was fired for that. <laughs> because he's, he said, I don't care what, what it means. It's kind of for as long as Lester's career was. So, but it says, and this is what we were just reading, it says it was by their own, one of their own prophets was called the Cretans the bad name. Um, it's like, if I'm if you're out with a bunch of teenagers and there's there's a group of black kids and they call each other nigger, that's okay. But I can't call them a nigger because that's an ethnic, an ethnic slur. But it's okay for them to call it each other, and they do. And and the other others too, the Mexicans have ethnic slurs they call each other. It's it just happens. So, but I, I think here what it talks about the prophet. 
it was by their own prophet that said that they were all liars. Hmm. All ready to keep going? We have time. But as for you, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. Tell the older men to be temperate, serious, prudent, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. A little bit different than what we heard in chapter 1, right? This is the part we should be reading, but somehow we don't. This is the part that's also bad. The next one, verse 3. Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or uh, slaves to drink. That one, they'll use slaves. They didn't use servants to drink there. Mine says addicted. Addicted to drink? It's having been enslaved, which is, it has a low in the middle of it, yeah. yeah. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive. I'm sorry, I'm going to breathe here for a second. Submissive to their husbands so that the word of God may not be discredited. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects as a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured. When in, Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say, say, to, say of us. So I'm going to pause right there. So got to read this a little bit. Um, so all of the stuff before was about false teachings. But for you, he says in verse chapter 2, uh, he's teaching to the whole family from verses 2 through 10. Um, and, and the part that's fascinating to me is this. I hear Dr. Warren Carter talking about the hierarchical structures that take place in the Roman Empire um, that you are fully seeing here. Um, notice that the, the woman... Is technically the head of the household here, even though it says be submissive to your husband. Notice that the job description for the woman of the household: um, be good in your behavior, don't be slanderers, aka gossips, uh, or being slaves. Don't be addicted to drink. They are teaching what is good. They are encouragers for the young ladies. They love the husbands. They love the children. They are to be self-controlled, chaste. And here it is. Good managers of the household. That was 100% that thing that we always skip over in the first century. The women were the managers of the household. Um, being submissive to their husbands, I would say, is a, an insert, not from Paul, but probably from Paul, uh, so that the word of God may not be discredited. So this, uh, obviously the author is really trying to focus in on credibility of Christians because it's it's a different world that they're living in. There's not a whole lot of difference in those directions for women than what it was for the directions for men. I mean, they're... They only had one sentence. Blameless, faithful to his wife. This is verse six. Uh, a man whose children believe and are not open to change. Um, That's the younger men. Uh, 
So the older men don't have to do anything? That is correct. Temperate, Temperate respectable, sensible, sound faith. healthy in the faith, in love, and endurance. And this this is this is a this is this is where Dr. Carter spent a long time with our class on. There was a structure that took place in the Roman Empire that's really hard for us to to fathom. So if they have, uh, were of any means, the men were out pontificating. Like they were they were either going to work or they were doing something for the empire. And if they were of any means, they were probably at court discussing things, whatever what they were doing. This is obviously not a Jewish group of people. That's the part I'm wanting to make sure you understand. This is a, a good lens to look at a Roman group. So the older men, we're, we're going to assume that it's the father of the household, because that's a, a very safe assumption. This is your job. You are to be, you, you're supposed to do your job. You're supposed to be serious about it. You're supposed to use good mind. You should be sound in your faith and in your love and in endurance. So you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be there as support for everything. But the women were historically the ones that managed the household. So while the man was out doing all of the work, the woman was managing the slaves, was teaching the kids, what she was doing the negotiating for her husband's business. We have absolute archaeological evidence that that happened and that when you get to stories i can't remember her name oh my goodness she's the she's the lady that sells silk lydia the seller lydia of yeah there's this conversation about lydia she has her own business now, this that's not uncommon like this was a, a a total roman thing and again it's hard for us because when we look at it we're going yeah but the submissive to her husband part. Actually, it says subject to. Subject to. Which would matter if you go through the Greek, because subject to your husband means that you were owned by him. Okay. Remember, you you are you You're are the property. You are property. However, as property, you're managing the household. So if the household falls, it's on you, and as a slave, what do you what do you do when someone fails? It's okay. So Paul is acknowledging this Roman culture. Um, the younger men. So we're thinking uh, our our children. We're trying to tell them to be self controlled, uh, be a model of good works. This is Jesus teaching, and in your teaching, show integrity, gravity, sound speech. It cannot be censured, then in any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Again, it's all about credibility in the lens of the Roman Empire. Um, and everywhere you're at. Crete would have, I mean, would have been a, a hot seat for Rome. Like, it, I mean, still. <laughs> if you're going to go to Rome, you got to see Crete. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things. Um, the aged men and aged women are presbutos and presbutidos. Oh, sweet! So it's so that's even, related to the elder part. Yes, that, so that's that was the word that I was been waiting for. Presbutos. Yeah. What I was comparing them to on the 
the directions for men, but the directions for the elders are in chapter one. Oh, there's quite a bit of there. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's very similar to what the directions for the women were. And the problem that he has was is that some of those definitions, because he starts off chapter two by saying, but as for you. So chapter one was, I left you in behind the creek so that you should have pointed, and I directed you that this, dot, 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 dot. And it didn't work, evidently. And so in chapter two, he says, so as for you, this is what we need to be doing now. So, I, though we live in a Roman world, don't act like. Yes. Roman. I mean, we're. When in Rome, don't be a Roman. That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly right. You still have to follow the social construct. That's right. And that, I mean, that's the way the households are set up. But you don't have to be like them. I think it's confusing because we're not in that cultural setup today. Back to the marriage. I mean, you know, that it it's changed from then is what I'm trying to say. But he's writing to what he's not writing for today. No, he is he's totally writing, writing to the first century. He's writing with, to the people and giving them rules, suggestions, whatever for what they're living. Yes. The world that they're in. And it's so funny you should say that because it perfectly segues into verse 9 and 10. He says, Then tell slaves to be submissive to their masters and to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to talk back, not to pilfer or steal or dig through stuff, but to show complete and perfect fidelity so that in everything they may be an ornament uh, to the doctrine of God, our Savior. Perfect example on this is the first century. I mean, because this is... Because everybody has slaves today. That's right. And and like we have mentioned before, you know, it, it's been fairly recent that people have recognized globally, mind you, that globally people have recognized, maybe I shouldn't own another human being. You know what I'm saying? This, this is a, a really radical concept in the last two or three hundred years. You said, did you notice that the word for uh, teach your slaves to be subject to their masters is the same word that was used to create yeah. and be subject yeah. to their husband? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's nice. Why we have, that's why I love <laughs> having the Greek translation here because it's, it's exactly what it was. It's not, now this is the part that when I, when I made the noise, when you hear this preached, it's the moment of women, you should be submissive to your husband, so you 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 do what they say. That's not biblically accurate. If you want them to do that, then you you just hire well, you bought a woman to be your slave. If you're gonna go off of Titus and you're gonna do it the right way, and you're gonna say, Well, it's the inerrant word of God and blah 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 blah. But you just literally said that your wife is a piece of your property and that she is your subject. That's what it says here in Titus. But the problem with it is, is the church has taught it to be, well, you have to be submissive to your husband. No. We, we, we got to go back to Paul's letters. You can't just take bits and pieces of it. Paul physically believes that it's impossible to you, for you as a human being to show the love of God to another human being. But if you're going to do it, 
You have to give of yourselves fully together. Not one more than the other. Sometimes it is more than the other, but the objective is, is you try to outlove one another in the way that God outloves us. That's different than being submissive to without keeping score. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score matters in our culture. I I wish I'm sorry, I I'm not I'm not gonna get on a no, it, it's it's hard, Robert. I've been working with uh, a lot of people for the last two decades, especially couples. Yeah. And the hardest part about couples today is, is they they keep score, and, and it and usually comes out during an argument. Always, <laughs> yeah. always. And that's and that's human nature. But when I talk to them about what it means to to, to out love one another, they, they, they've never heard that discussion. They've always heard the submissive thing. And that the man is the, the head of the household. And I'm like, okay, I know it says that in the Bible, but how is it preached to you? Let's, let's start there. And then it, it's always the second part. Well, the woman is supposed to be submissive to her husband. Well, tell me how that was preached to you and let's let's sit down and really look at that i don't i don't sit there and go no your wife is not some piece of furniture at your house that you can use to vacuum the floor or whatever that's not being submissive if you go with titus she's a subject to the man which is in charge of way more things than he's in charge of yes and what a contradictory statement and this is where dr warren carter goes off on a whole other tangent about how the whole Roman Empire, if they'd just done what the woman told them, they would have never fallen. That's <laughs> you, you all have loved him very, very much. He is, he is really great. I love his bathroom about the three wise men. If the women had come out, the gifts would have been different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They would have cleaned the stable. They would have been on time. They would have cleaned the stable and they would have. Everything would have been taken care of. There would have been peace on earth. That's <laughs> That's the other piece. Uh, but it's not appropriate for the, the, the guy who just preached that. So. Um, so, so I, I, I point this out because as Robert perfectly set me up for that part, this is your lens, like this is the, the lens that we would use to look at it. Here's your proof is we're talking about first century, not the, the, the last, the 20th or 19th century, 20th or 21st century. Um, and it, and it really, it's really an ecclesiastical brain damage passage of scripture that the church has to preach better. Um, and we're not, there's not enough of us doing it right now. It's, it's still women be submissive to your husbands, men, you're still in charge of everything. Young men, you should do stuff. Does it have a young women in here? No, it just, here's the old, they're already married and taking care of. That's right. That's right. That's, that's all that matters. Um, I think we're going to go ahead and finish chapter two uh, since we have the time, and then we'll stop there. No, I think we'll end a little early today because if I stop there, it, it it'll interrupt the, the the idea. Yeah, I need to stop there because we're getting to a whole different topic, and and we'll run out of time. But um, really, I want I need verse eleven in order to make the rest of the book and that makes sense. I needed to say we're not those 
versus the chapters one through eight. That's right. Yeah, yeah this that's a that's a definite statement changing experience right there. So I'm going to stop right there at verse 11, and we'll pick up there next week.